The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Lynette's Shrimp House, located in Highland Park. It's Metro Detroit's premier destination, serving juicy fried shrimp, fish, and wings, alongside soul food sides and new additions to the menu, like turkey tacos and desserts. Located at 13548 Woodward in Highland Park, just north of the Davidson, Lynette's is open for takeaway, noon to 8, Tuesday and Thursday, noon to 10 p.m. Friday and Saturday, and noon to 5 p.m. on Sunday. Call now, get some Lynette's. Hey, greetings, everybody. Welcome to the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Very glad to have you with us on, I believe it's Wednesday uh, that we are recording this. Still a little foggy from that vaccination yesterday, but uh, feeling good. It's good to get shot number one out of the way. And uh, quick, before we begin the program today, a quick shout out to everybody at Ford Field for the exceptional job that they did yesterday. The whole process took about a half an hour total, and 15 minutes of that was just making sure that nothing went wrong at the end of the shot. So, like I said, to the uh, Air National Guard that was there manning this, to Myers, to Ford Field, everybody involved, it really was a smooth operation and, and incredibly well done. I encourage everybody to sign up. Get that vaccination, get that shot in your arm, because we definitely want to get back to normal. And the reason I bring that up is because we are talking about what life is going to look like after the pandemic. And we are talking about it with my friend Steve Fries, who is the news and features editor at Our Magazine. He joins us once again, as he has been uh, once a month for the past few months. Steve, welcome back to the show. It's a pleasure to have you here. It's great to have to be here. And also congratulations on your vaccination. Well, you know, it's it's not the kind of thing that normally you feel like getting congratulations for. But I'll tell you what, uh, I felt a lot different as soon as I left there yesterday, um, just knowing that a light at the end of the tunnel um, and things may slowly return to normal here in Michigan and other states around the country as we sort of process what life is going to look like after this, because this has been a year long experiment in a whole lot of different things. Our, of course, devotes a lot of its space this month to what life is going to look like post-pandemic, whether it's schools, whether it's the workplace. Uh, and let's start with the piece that you actually authored in there, which was taking a look at whether or not people are going to be working remotely, because I've been in my basement for the last year. I'm starting to really like the space down here. I'm amazingly efficient um, and everything's right here. Uh, and it's kind of nice, but I'm sure that not every company is quite comfortable yet with the idea of all of us working remotely all the time, but we've never had an opportunity to really explore this like we have this last year. Now, it is interesting because I've been a freelancer for 15, 20 years uh, with a couple of jobs interspersed. And the first real job I had was uh, this job at Our Detroit. So I got this job in February. I started going to an office <laughs> three weeks later, they sent me home. And all of a sudden, I'm back where I started. And yeah, you know, and I was watching all these people sort of, you know, being angsty about whether they were going to be able to get their work done, what it was going to be like when the kids were around, or that, or, you know, how awkward meetings are on Zoom when there's like real life going on in your house. But, um, you know, a year later, a lot of people do really like it. I mean, it does, you know, save a lot on dry cleaning. Yeah, very true. <laughs> you save a lot on, on gas, uh, not having to, tr to uh, commute. Um, and I think that people have realized that the paycheck alone, particularly during the pandemic, when everybody's worried whether they're going to keep their jobs or not because of the economy, I think actually that people were motivated by 
wanting to stay employed. So that was good enough for for people who were worried that they weren't going to be able to sort of keep focus on their work or figure out how to balance things out. So, well, yeah, I mean, I think that I think that a lot of people do want to at least stay at home a little bit more, um, if not completely. And, and, and the thing is, though, but, you know, it, this was not something that employers were necessarily open to no. a year ago at this time. I mean, we've been talking about whether or not there's going to be a future in in telecommuting um, and, and uh, you know, remote workstations and things like that for a long time. But nobody's really been willing to pull the trigger on it, with the exception of people who are maybe, you know, uh, taking care of young children uh, and doing like flex scheduling. But full time work from home was not something that was considered to be on the horizon at all. And that's, I think it's changed because the world didn't fall apart when this happened. No, it didn't. I mean, you know, we've been putting out a full-fledged magazine for a full year by Zoom calls and other types of, of remote work, Slack and so on. But, you know, I think that the um, there are obviously benefits to both. Uh, being in an office and being able to bandy about ideas. The problem is, and particularly this came up a lot over the course of the year when when bosses started to wonder whether we they could bring people into work. And then the question became, well, why? What's the point? I mean, if you're going to bring people into work during a pandemic and you have to worry about the liability of people getting sick and also people have to behave the way they would at home anyway, they have to be distanced and masked and, and so on. And what, what good is that? What, what, what is the value you're getting out of bringing people in when they're just going to have to be, they, when they actually can be more, more comfortable and um, loose about their conversations online? On the other hand, um, I think a lot of companies have discovered that by being able to hire people who can work from anywhere, they've broadened the potential talent pool. People are able to get jobs, Detroit people are able to get jobs that were never really open to them because they didn't live in other cities. And I, and and employers like that, it also, I think, probably could put some pressure downward on, on, um, on salaries because if you're competing with everybody in the world instead of everybody in your city, um, it's a different playing field. So well, a lot of interesting consequences that will be coming as we figure out where we're going with this. Well, and that's something that you pointed out in your story, uh, taking a look at the future of work from home is is the talent pool and how much wider it could be for certain types of workers that don't need to be uh, obviously on site because there's a whole massive section of the population that's never going to have that option. We, we don't want to suggest that this is the future for everybody. Uh, but you talk about downward salary pressure for a company, say like Google, for instance, which is in San Francisco area, the most expensive real estate in the United States. They could pay an engineer here in Detroit, a little bit less, have them telecommute and not have to worry about whether or not they can afford the cost of living out there so they don't have to pay as much. Right. So you talk about well, downward I mean, pressure. I mean, were people actively talking about that in the interviews that you conducted? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and the fact is that there are a lot of people who uh, have, act, particularly California people, who have realized during the pandemic they don't need to be paying California real estate prices and taxes in order to work for California companies. And so there has been a big rush on real estate in places like Phoenix and Reno and Las Vegas and the places just to the east where taxes are a lot lower, cost of living is significantly lower. And yeah, at some point, employers are going to say, well, we don't have to pay you all of this um, if, if you're not going to have to to work and and pay to live in in our cities so yeah I, I, it's a 
it, it's going to be a very interesting um, shakeout for a lot of different industries because I don't think that um, we we are going back to mandatory full time all the time in the office for everybody. Yeah. And people, I think that it just you know the the proof is in the last year that most people got their work done. Well, and I think that was a, one of the big hurdles for this was the trust factor from employers that if they're not keeping their eye on you 24 seven, that you're still getting your work done. Um, and I think most people prove that yes, they can actually start to focus and it did take an adjustment. Let's be honest. I mean, you've got kids um, and, and, you know, mine are, are grown, so it's not, not an issue, but you know, the cat sometimes jumps up on the computer when you're doing something, the kids walk in the room, make some noise, somebody cries, scratches an arm, whatever, you know, there's stuff going on in the background. Right. Uh, but that has not stopped us from being able to concentrate. No, but I mean, I do think that it takes some effort to balance out what is work and what is not work. And, and bosses, I think, in, in a lot of cases, not mine, just saying, um, but a lot of bosses um, have let that blur too. They've decided, I guess, that if they're not in the office and they don't have to commute, well, that's that means that I can also bother them at seven o'clock at night or or early in the morning when I wouldn't normally do that because they're not at work. Um, so you know, everybody's got to kind of figure out the equilibrium for all of this and. Um, uh, I think it's kind of great that people have learned how to manage their work. Um, and I think that, I think that a lot of people are going to have a hard time having to go back to the old ways. Well, and, and the one thing that you point out too, is you talk to a number of companies in your piece about their plans going forward. And it certainly seems as if their eyes are open to this as a possibility and they're much more open to the concept than they were a year ago. Um, especially when it comes to like flex time, you know, I think a lot of companies are going to be doing hybrids where you're in the office three days a week, maybe two days a week and, and the other three at home. Uh, that's, that still is going to mean huge changes for the office market, uh, for, for commercial space and a lot of different things. I also think that, you know, we're now moving into the period and we can go on to talk about the other pieces, but, but we're now moving into the period where people's kids are not at home doing school also. And that yeah. has been a big drain on people's productivity when they both have to do their jobs and oversee their children, sometimes more than one, um, making sure that they're doing their, their school. And the kids, you know, there have been plenty of documented um, stories about the kids having increasing behavior problems because they don't know the difference between work and, and home. They're doing school in their bedroom. It's just they're all their toys are around. They're on their own computers. It's just, you know, I mean, so I think that once that's sorted, once once we're not dealing with um, parents working from home and also managing their children most of the time, I think that... Um, bosses will probably be happier with their employees. Oh, I, I think so too. And, and certainly the stress on the home bandwidth is going to change significantly as well uh, because that has been a big problem for a lot of people is, uh, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's something that you don't think about until you actually need it. And you realize that uh, these zoom calls can be super annoying if you don't have the bandwidth. Uh, well, right. you, you mentioned school. Let's talk about that because, um, this is a big part of this as well. Uh, Zach Brooke wrote for the magazine a story called A Generational Rescue Mission, um, talking to Nikolai Vitti and a number of other people about the impact that COVID has had on education. Um, and I think 
sort of stressing the importance of in-person learning for kids. It, yeah. it is something that we're really recognizing now that this is not just a socialization issue. No, no. I mean, I think it's more an educational problem than a socialization problem. I mean, you know, kids find ways to socialize without being with each other. They're on their computers and they're texting and they're doing whatever they want to do to stay in touch with their friends and do things with their friends. But it's the, it's the, it's the lessons. It's, it's the classwork that has been, been completely disrupted by all of this. And we have a, a, a large, a large number of students who are going to be significantly behind on where they're supposed to be educationally. And this is, this is a really, really hard problem. I mean, it's, it, you, you can't invent the time that was lost. And I have to say that I've got a, a 17 month old and I'm really grateful that my kid was the, the age that he was when this happened because we didn't really lose anything. Sure. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I mean, yeah, he'll be fine. I mean, one of the things they pointed out, and, and, you know, I have a feeling that Congress may take a look at this as they're talking about allotting more money, especially for anti-poverty programs. Uh, but but you're looking at a situation where only 10 percent of the students in the Detroit public schools had the technology access necessary to do, uh, you know, what you and I have been doing from a work perspective for all this time. Uh, adequate bandwidth, uh, you know, Internet, computers, uh, even tablets. This is something that we're going to need to address if we're talking about equity in the educational system, because this could happen again. Of course it could. Anything could happen. I mean, you know, it could, we could have some sort of weather calamity or a war or something. There's any number of things that could happen. And the um, the fact is that we've been talking about this forever. We've been talking about the inequities in broadband for a long, long time. Most of the time, actually, it gets more discussed about real r r rural and remote areas. Sure. But it's 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 kind of unforgivable. The technology is not that expensive. It's not that hard to get a hold of. And, you know, there are cities there are there are cities that have blanketed their their um, their communities with free Wi-Fi. It may not be the best Wi-Fi, but, you know, the 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 missing link here is. It is shocking. It's amazing that well, there's that this this level of um, of failure. And I think, you know, I think that I think that a lot of people thought that the solution was to make sure that these kids had access to uh, devices and, and stuff in school. <laughs> and then that then what happened? Yeah. School well, off limits. And here we are. And, and I hate to suggest that there's a silver lining that comes out of, you know, a, a year like we've just come out of. Um, there better but, be, otherwise it's going to be real. Depressing. Well, you know, yeah, if we if we learn some lessons from this, again, the digital divide is something that is much more important than perhaps we thought it was. Um, you know, uh, you take a look at that. And, and again, the inequities that exist there are just ridiculous. Uh, and, you know, the stats in that story, uh, taking a look at the education system, and what's going on in Detroit are just they're alarming. Um, and, and, you know, not to mention that we're also now looking at having to deal with a, a different type of mental health issue for students than we've been dealing with before. The isolation uh, may have done some things and then just putting them back right back in the system might not be that easy. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be hard. It's going to be I mean, there there's a lot of mental health issues, uh, you know, regarding, you know, the, what kids have been going through, um, how scared they are of the world around them. Um, you know, it, and there's a there's a tremendous amount of paranoia that isn't going away just because of the vaccine. 
And also, at least for a while, we're not vaccinating children. So they're not going to be protected. Yeah. Um, so it's hard. It, it, it's, it's, it's very difficult. And, um, you know, I thought that uh, the superintendent in Detroit was um, was interesting because he's worried about his own kids. Yeah. And, <laughs> who mean, are in the and, Detroit and public schools. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, and, and if he's worried about his own kids, uh, we got we got problems. Well, it, like I said, it's it's a, a really well done piece uh, talking with Nikolai Vidi again, the aforementioned Nikolai Vidi, uh, superintendent of schools in Detroit, who's been on this program a few times, uh, talking about the issues coming out of COVID and how they're going to deal with that. So, uh, some of the other things you're looking at in here: uh, the future of mass transit, uh, because again, this could be uh, severely impacted, has been severely impacted by by COVID, um, and uh, I, I want to talk just a bit about mass transit. Ashley Wynn writes a piece in your uh, post, uh, your world post COVID section here in uh, this month's hour, um, suggesting that, you know, we've learned a few things here. Uh, you know, we haven't been charging people fares during COVID and, you know, there's still an investment though that needs to be made to make it so that it's palatable and usable for people. Uh, you know, people have, are not as opposed to transit issues as they might've been a few years ago as a result of that, which surprised me. Well, I mean, it's going to take, uh, again, some getting used to the idea of getting on buses and trains um, because of the um, the fear. And also, you know, one of the things I, I had noticed early in the pandemic was that the places that had the worst outbreaks, Detroit not, not included, but other places that had the worst outbreaks also had the most robust and well-used um, mass transit. In New York City, in the New Jersey area, that whole Northeast, um, uh, Los Angeles, and 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 Washington State, San Francisco. So I mean, you know, mass transit in a lot of ways has been a super spreader for uh, COVID, and and so it, it's it's alarming. It's hard to get people back on the trains or in the buses. We've also cut back on a number of routes because nobody was riding them, and so it's gonna take it's gonna take a lot of Figuring out what um, what people will do and how to make them feel comfortable with it, I actually think that um, we may have a harder time getting the mass transit up to where it used to be. Yeah, I think so. But one of the points that the article makes too is that you know this is an opportunity for them to sort of rethink their routes, um, where they're dropping people, and and you know. Yeah, like the Amazon distribution centers, which are employing so many people uh, right. at relatively low wages compared to some of the other things. Those are the people that are most likely going to need it and use right. it. Um, and they could they could find a way to really sort of sharpen their focus and, and service those groups of people that need it more than they have in the past. Just these standard nine to five routes may not apply anymore. Yeah, it's just, you know, there's always been this discussion in, in our region about better regional transit. Um, you know, th something that takes in multi-counties and helps people who don't live in the city commute to the city without having to get on the highway. And that always sort of gets bogged down in politics and money. Um, and also, you know, um, Brooke Patterson was always against it. So oh, yeah. you know, Oakland, Oakland County sort of, you know, never would, would participate, which kind of leaves that an important segment. Um, and now the question is, do we 
are we going to be able to politically convince the suburbanites that they want or need that that investment when they're either wanting to work from home or they're afraid of COVID and they just want to drive their cars? Very true. Well, we've got a few minutes left. Um, I, I do want to focus on one other uh, part of this that that I enjoyed. It was uh, written by my friend Ryan Patrick Hooper. By the way, he's the host of Culture Shift on WDET and somebody who was an intern of mine many, many years ago. Uh, a great guy. But he wrote a piece on the future of live music um, right. because the entertainment industry has been crushed by COVID, clearly. Uh, restaurants, uh, concerts, they just don't exist, uh, with the exception of virtual concerts. And, and people have sort of flocked to those in a way. But there's still going to be capacity issues this year um, for anything that does happen. It's it, the days of being crammed in there with a bunch of sweaty bodies all, you know, moshed in a pit, I think are probably going to be gone for a little while. For a while. But then again, look at the pictures you're seeing out of uh, um, spring break in, in Florida and stuff. I mean, the people who love going to those concerts and cramming together the way they did are, you know, feeling impervious or sick of, of, of kind of sitting around. So it's going to be up to the venues that decide how, you know, and, and the law. Um, but I think that if you, if Gretchen Whitmer said tomorrow, anything goes, um, I think that we probably would have some pretty good concerts this summer. Yeah, um, I, I'm, not sure. there. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'd be in there at this point yeah. in time, you know, um, just because I, I'll feel a lot better in a couple of weeks. But still, that's not enough to to make me think that this is going to be safe at this point in time. But uh, he looked was at that something. Your first shot or your second shot? That was my first one. I got uh, three oh, weeks, okay. you know, till the next right, one. But, right. uh, you know, like I said, I'm still I'm thinking maybe this summer I'll start feeling good enough to venture out and be somewhere that's not outdoors. Um, well, I'm uh, I'm I guess I'm too young healthy and unimportant to have gotten my shot yet. So I'm well, by the time I speak to you next time, I will have at least gotten my first shot. Well, it's everybody. It's a free for all for, you know, April 5th. So, um, but I, I, one thing that he did point out, I, I love the idea of these virtual concerts being something that's here to stay. I mean, think about live sports, you know, people watch on television rather than going to games. Concerts are going to be the same way. I, I like this idea of a subscription service where you get, you know, uh, 25 concerts a month for or, or 25 bucks gets you like 20 concerts a month. Uh, pretty interesting concept, I think, and, and something that may make a lot of sense. It does. And I mean, it's, it's just extra money. You know, I mean, they can, <laughs> geolo they can geolocate it so that you can't do it if you're like say that say they're playing at like a blackout shows. rule yeah like a blackout the same way they do with uh you know network television on streaming for sports um you know they they can do that and you know it's interesting because like oddly the the folks that really kind of have pioneered that in the first place are like the metropolitan opera like they have these um these they have had these very successful like events where people go to movie theaters near them to watch a live opera because people aren't going to go to New York, get dressed up and go to the Met. Most people don't have the time, the money or the, you know, maybe even the inclination, but they'll go down to watch a, an opera. And I think that, you know, either um, doing it in, the, in your home or or whatever. I've seen a number of, of, of concerts w over the past year. Mostly they're, they've been like charity things. Like sure. Paul Simon has done some charity stuff and George Winston has done a number of them have done that I've liked. So I've kind of logged in and paid my 20 bucks for the, whatever the cause is. I would probably pay my 20 bucks just to see the show. 
Oh, ab- absolutely. I mean, I, I paid for a, you know, a Bob Weir thing not too long ago. So, you know, being the deadhead right. that I am, but, uh, well, you know, I, I just want to say thanks because I, I think this month's hour, that this series of features on what we've got to deal with coming out of COVID are actually quite informative. They ask a lot of really good questions and give people something to think about. So I want to say uh, congrats. I thought it was really well done. And of course, there's all the usual stuff that's in our restaurants and, and entertainment and everything else. But um, we always appreciate talking to you, Steve. Thank you very much. Well, see you next month, I hope. All right. Steve Fries, of course, is the news and features editor at Our Detroit Magazine. We always appreciate him being with us. And again, check it out. It's available at newsstands everywhere. You can find it online at OurDetroit.com. Uh, um, it's easy enough to find. I got it right, didn't I, Steve? Yeah, okay. And, yeah, you did. Okay, perfect. Well, all right. Thanks, everybody, for checking out the show. I certainly do appreciate it. Don't forget, you can send me an email, Show at gmail.com. You can find me anywhere on social media if you want to comment on something that you've heard or give me ideas on what you want to know about. Let me know. And thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Looking for the latest news and information about our great city of Detroit? Head to DeadlineDetroit.com for one-stop shopping for the most important stories of the day. Deadline Detroit has some of the best journalists in town, providing original reporting, videos, and podcasts that keep you in the know about everything happening in Detroit. Become a member today, and you'll automatically be entered into a drawing for prizes, including gift cards to some of Detroit's best restaurants. Go to DeadlineDetroit.com membership.